Hello, and welcome to the Short Gun Sportsman, a podcast about handgun hunting brought to you by Handgun Hunters International. My name is Ryan Hoover, and I'm your host. I believe handgun hunting is the most rewarding way to hunt, and it's something I want to share with as many people as I can. If you are at all interested in getting your own game meat, I want to challenge you to a way of hunting that is good for both your spirit and your body, so you can become the confident, self-reliant person you were meant to be. Okay, everybody, another good one today. We're continuing our series about getting into handgun hunting. Today, we're going to be talking about field gear, and that's all the stuff that you take in the field with you, not including your gun, ammo, or optic. First, Heath, Tyler, and I are going to be talking about just some of the things that we like to use in the field, how we use them, you know, what kinds of things we feel like we need. And then in the second part of the podcast, I'm going to be talking to Brian Thurber of Trifecta Handgun. Brian has invented a handgun rest for the field that attaches to a bipod, tripod, or monopod, and he is a great HHI member and doing really good work trying to have some good rests for us handgun hunters in the field. So I hope you enjoy, but before we get into the episode, I want to talk about the Six Gunner, which is HHI's bi-monthly digital magazine. The Six Gunner is free to the public, and you can subscribe to it by going to subscribepage.com forward slash the Six Gunner. Now, HHI members are the only people who are allowed to write for the Six Gunner, so every issue is full of stories and information, tips and tricks and reviews by people who have actually done what we do in the field. I know it's a great resource to everybody and it is a good way to give examples of handgun hunting to the general hunting public. So please go to subscribepage.com forward slash the six gunner and subscribe for free today. Okay, Heath, here we are again. We have covered why we handgun hunt and some myths. We've covered how to choose your gun and ammunition. We've covered optics, which is a was a big one and a lot of people really enjoyed. So today we're back to discuss field gear. And so this is the way that I kind of characterize this is this is the gear that we bring into the field that is not our handgun, ammo, or optic and is not the clothes that we wear. And so this is going to be things that uh, the accessories that we need that make it better for us to hunt. Yeah, great. So the one that I want to start with that I have been hunting with for years now, even though I didn't when I was younger, and I assume you didn't because most people didn't, is hearing protection. Oh, yeah. We didn't even we didn't even use it for shooting growing up. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Terrible. It, It is. It is so terrible. But, you know, when we were growing up, we didn't have the good electronic noise canceling hearing protection that we have today. That's true. Yeah. I don't even know what it looked like cause I didn't have any. That's right. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> uh, here's a funny story. Actually, my, when, when this stuff first started becoming a thing, you know, the Walker's game year and all that, my buddy and I bought some cheap, cheap hearing protection that was supposed to be noise canceling to test it out. Well, it definitely did the amplification side, but it didn't cut off. And oh, so basically boy. we, we shot, we shot a 12 gauge amplified. That was, that was fun. But <laughs> what? Huh? Yeah, exactly. Right. Things have come a long way since then. Yeah. And so for those who don't know, don't know that the noise canceling basically is a microphone that amplifies sound until 
that sound reaches a certain decibel threshold and then it cuts off and it does it fast enough to be able to prevent that sound from reaching your ear and damaging your hearing. The, some of the, you know, the Walker's game ear, Walker's brand Peltor. uh, I've, I've been using the Howard late impact pro sport. I think it's called earmuffs and those are over the ear noise canceling hearing protection. And also there are in ear noise canceling hearing protection. I prefer the over the ear. Do you, what experience do you have? Um, I've tried a, a mixture of both and I, you know, I think obviously the over the ear is a lot more, a lot more comfortable to use because <clears throat> it's not sitting there digging into your ear for hours on end. Yeah, I think from what I've heard, I haven't gone this route yet, but from what I've heard from some other friends and just other people in the that are handgun hunters or hunters in general, is the the custom molded in ear hearing protection is really the way to go if you want to use the in ear stuff. It's a, it's expensive. It's a lot more expensive, but like I've told you before, you know that in ear headphones or anything like that. If I wear them for too long, it just makes the inside of my ears itch. Not everybody's that way. Uh, but the headphones also double as ear warmers when I'm hunting. So that's a good, that's a good thing for me. Yeah. I actually, so this year I tried a variation of things. <clears throat> One that I tried was it's made by Otis. Mm-hmm. It's called the ear shield hmm. and they have, uh, it's like a foam that goes, it doesn't go in your ear but it's it's very small but it just goes barely over the hole of your ear interesting and they have they call sound reduction chambers uh-huh. but unfortunately the first time i carried them into the field uh i was on my way in and apparently they got i had them just around my neck mm-hmm. and they got snagged on something so oh, man. i actually got to use them man. which is kind of a shame because they got a <laughs> 20 some odd dollar price tag, which is not a lot. Right. You wouldn't leave $20 bill in the woods. No. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's interesting. One of the biggest benefits of that kind of hearing protection that I found is hunting with a buddy that it, the amplification enables you to whisper and communicate with each other easier without, you know, obviously making too much noise. Absolutely. And I found that. And also, you know, for those of us that grew up not, hunting with hearing protection or not shooting with hearing protection, we probably have some hearing damage and the microphones, the amplification side of it have definitely helped me in the woods before, as far as hearing what's going on. Yeah. I've, I've, Absolutely. so I, I never hunt without them and I never shoot without them and nobody should ever shoot without hearing protection. Speaking from somebody who has ruined his ears over years of guns and drums yeah, please protect your ears and hearing protection that with the noise reduction amplification allows you to use them effectively in the field. Unlike when we were kids. Yeah. Especially with handguns. My goodness. Some of these things <laughs> will break. Yep. It will make your ears bleed. Mm-hmm. That's, that's absolutely true. So what are some other, what are some other essential pieces of kit that you like to bring into the field with you? Probably one of the ones that I, that I found the most beneficial is uh, I keep a kind of a field dressing kit, if you will, uh-huh. a good sharp knife, a bone saw, maybe a couple knives, honestly, sometimes just, you know, depending on what I got going, mm-hmm. but I'll usually keep some trash bags and uh, latex gloves, not because I'm afraid of anything, just because 
sometimes you wind up somewhere where there's not any water to rinse your hands off. Right. And, you know, usually a rope, but I, you know, I have a backpack, so I'm, I'm intending on carrying that meat out instead of dragging the whole animal. Right. The difference between, and I'm glad you brought that up because where I hunt most of the time, you know, you shoot a deer and then you're close enough to some sort of facility where you bring a vehicle to pick up the deer and take it to, you know, a gambrel style hoist where you can gut it and uh, skin it in the hanging position. So we don't carry field dress kits as much down here. It is done. It's just not as common. And you did also touch on something that I think is key to anybody's field kit. And that is a good sharp knife. All the rage right now is those, um, the changeable blade knives. Yep. Have you used any of those? I never have. Honestly, I, uh, I carry, it's a a Swiss made knife. (laughs) Pause for editing. (laughs) (laughs) I need to get the jeopardy theme. I can never think of the name of these things. So, so what I carry is, uh, it's called a Moore knife. Oh yeah. A finish, um, right? Are they finished? Yeah. Fit, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. There you go. And so razor sharp made in Sweden is what I'm looking at it now. It comes with a plastic case, man. They're literally under 30 bucks. Those are the, co- so I keep one in every bag that I've got. Okay. Those are the kind that have a more robust angle on their edge. Right. And it's supposed yes. to, supposed to be able to hold an edge longer. Yep. That has always been one of the things, you know, sharpening a knife in the field quality of knife, obviously, obviously has a lot to do with that. But I, this year started using some of those interchangeable blade knives yeah. and it's been great. I don't know if it's been great just cause I've been used to, field dressing deer with a knife that's not as sharp as it should be. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, uh, but I've really, I really liked it. I do find that I go through probably two or three blades, but it, it has been really nice to be able to use those. And the blades are cheap and various companies are, are coming out with that kind of thing. I have one of those knives that you're talking about, the Finnish style, Finnish from Finland, not it's complete. And I haven't had a chance to use it mostly because when I move my shop, I it's in a box somewhere that I can't find. Yeah, I just keep four or five of them, you know, because mm-hmm. they're so yeah they're so dang affordable, and I, you just yeah, I just keep one in every pack, man. Right. Just... However, shout out to artisan tradesmen out there. If you can, you should make it a goal to get a true custom knife made because you will find there is no comparison <laughs> at all. Yeah. Uh, so moving on, one of the things that I have recently needed to use more because when I first started, I was hunting with my revolver, uh, which comes with an inbuilt ammo carrier, obviously when yeah. I, I've been hunting more with my single shot contender and an ammo carrier has been a lot more needed in the field now. Sure. And especially one that you can get to your ammo quickly uh, yep. do, do you use something like that? Uh, it's kind of funny you would ask that. This year I started carrying, uh, not carrying. I one of those, you know, it goes on your the butt stock of your rifle. Oh, uh huh, yeah. And I just slide the thing up on my arm and put rounds in it. Oh, that's good. The are you familiar with the company W Gear? Uh, I don't think so. They make a claw bag and uh, they make a couple other things. Cody Weiser started it. He's he's an avid handgun hunter. And they make ammo carriers that are pretty cool. They even make like a two round. I've, I've, I used to sell them when I was in the business, but 
now <laughs> because of field expediency. So when I, I hunt, I wear gloves usually. Yep. Mechanics. Mechanics has these super thin gloves that I found. They're terrible if you're shooting anything with a smooth grip because the glove is such that it'll ride up on your hand when you shoot it. Yep. But the contender that has the rubber back of the grip, it, it works, mm-hmm. it works great. So they, they Velcro over the back of your wrist and where they Velcro, there's like a little hole going through the meat of your thumb. And I just been sticking around through there because it's, it's handy, but I think probably a wrist carrier is, is added to my list. You know, the old guys that used to hunt or that still hunt with double guns in Africa or wherever they used to carry a couple of rounds between the, between their fingers of their offhand. And I'll do that too. But again, again, it's probably time for a wrist, a wrist carrier. I really haven't found a need to carry extra ammunition that's easily accessible when I'm hunting with a revolver though. I know there are people, there are people that do, especially if you're shooting like a five shot. Yeah. That should be plenty. I would think. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it would be a great thing if somebody built something that was Velcro adjustable mm-hmm. to put up on the arm and maybe they do it. I'm just not aware of it, mm-hmm. but you know, really, if you just had something that held three or four or five rounds in there and was adjustable so yeah. that you, could, cause the, the thing that I've been using is the, really a little too tight, mm. you know, especially if you've got any layers of clothing. on. Yeah. Oh, like, right. Right. Cause those are, they just are sewn together and elastic, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. No, you should check out the W Gear stuff then because they definitely, they're Velcro and they work pretty well. There's another one that I can't think of that Ernie Bishop recommended to me that he uses too. Those And, and also, you know, those two round holders that they use, the PRS guys use on their rifles? Oh, yeah. That you can just put a little Velcro thing to. I don't, I tend to think that rifle caliber single shots would probably buck one of those off, but you, you could probably put a piece of Velcro or sew a piece of Velcro to your jacket or something and they would stick just fine to that. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Moving on to one of my biggest needs in the field and something that I have struggled with and am still working on finding out is field rests. So using rests, I kind of divide it. You know, you have bags, you have shooting sticks, and you have mm-hmm. actual rests that support both the front of the gun and the butt. Sure. Obviously, the they each have their advantages. And I would say to me, the thing that I am searching for and, and just really want is a rest that supports the butt of my gun, but is also light enough to stalk with. I stalk with shooting sticks a lot. Uh-huh. And I found, man, I would just love for a way to support my butt on those, not the, the butt of the grip rather. Not my, <laughs> I love, yeah. I want some shooting sticks to support my butt. <laughs> that, that would be nice. There's, there's the next thing. Just the whole stand. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Now you're it's a tree stand, right? Come on. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh man, where have I been? Just something to be able to support that. That is a, that is, you know, only ounces heavier than the sticks. Anyway. Yeah. No, I agree. That would be that. That would be cool. The thing is, you know, a lot of people. Uh, this is funny because so many times when I show a non-handgun hunter a specialty pistol, either one of my contenders or an XP or something like that. The first thing they do is pick it up, hold it at arm's length and try and sight down it offhand. Oh yeah. You know, like they, they assume that that's the way to shoot it. And of course I'm always telling them 
no, you know, you definitely want to rest bipod, something like that. And so in the field, you know, if you're sitting in a blind or a stand, you usually have a bar or a ledge or something that you can rest off of. But in the field, it's either some sort of field expediency, you know, a few six gunners back, uh, the HHI magazine, the six gunner that we put out, Mark Hampton wrote an article about field rests where he went through some really good suggestions for, for what, what to use in the field for everything from, you know, resting on your backpack over a rock to finding a good tree limb to straight up tripods, etc. And it all depends on how you get set up. Right. So for me, I'll tell you the things that I have used with, with some degree of success are a, a bipod with kind of one of those U-shaped rubber hooks or rubber rests rather up at the top mm-hmm. yep. and a, and just straight up shooting sticks. Primo's, oh man, I can't think of the Primo. Primo's makes a, a, makes a shooting stick that's collapsible that I really like although they are only for kind of kneeling or sitting positions, but they're so light and they're so great that those, those are the things that I've been using the most and they're not perfect, but they are great. Later in the episode, we're going to talk to Brian Thurber, who is doing good work on this front with the trifecta handgun rest that he runs that company trifecta handgun. And it's a, a really well-made portable rest for the field for handguns. And we'll get into that in the second half of this episode, but what do you do? Cause I know you sit on the ground a lot. What do you do for a rest? Well, so disclaimer, there's, there's some things you got to do to be able to do that, to hunt this way. But what I do is I just try to find a place like that's one of the, when I'm searching for a place to set up on an area, that's one of the requirements that I have is that, okay, I uh-huh. can sit here with a handgun. Um, and then I usually try to, I'll, I'll have uh I just love these little bags. I forget what the name of them is, but they're made by Holland Shooters. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I picked those up off of. I think I saw one of the guys from HHC, I think was where I actually found out about that. Yeah, those are Uh, those are good. Dave House, I think well, I saw an Instagram post of his or Mm -hmm. something. But yeah, so that's usually what I do. But, you know, in doing that, you have to uh, my experience has been that you have to check your zero set up, you know, get at the range and get, you know, sit down on the bench, not on the bench, but sit down on the ground or something and, and, and see how that affects your zero. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And that's, to me, that's, that's one of the struggles with hunting with the, with the butt not supported, you know? Absolutely. You brought up something that I think is super important, which is the one way to get a rest is to design your hunting around how you're going to rest your gun. You know, like like you said, if you sit up at a choke point or game trail or something and you find a place that is convenient to rest your gun, that is absolutely a solution to that. Another great point you made is the practice it takes. We know, or we should know that, you know, the bench is only good enough for sighting in your gun, testing ammunition, chronographing, that kind of thing. But when you're actually practicing for the range, you need to shoot from the positions that you're going to be shooting in the field from and don't assume that your zero is going to be the same from one type of rest to another. It may be close enough, but you should definitely, you know, trust, but verify that. And yeah, excellent, excellent point. Also, I want to bring up another thing about bags. The, I love shooting revolvers from those little bags, you know, just resting the butt on them. Yep. Yeah. I've done that too. That's pretty handy. It makes a good portable 
rest that, but there are some bags out there. I recently learned about this bag called the cross tack X bag, not paid sponsor or anything like that, but it was from an HHI member because in the latest episode or excuse me, latest issue of the six gunner, the January, 2023 episode, gosh dang it. The January, 2023 issue, John Tasker, a fantastic HHI member wrote a review about it. And if you go to that magazine and you look at the pictures, it is cool. It's configurable you know, to support the butt, it's configurable to lay your gun across the little V trough that goes down it. So there are options out there. Of course, it's a bigger bag, but it is light enough to be able to take into the field. So there's another option for you right there. And then again, as I said, we're going to get into the trifecta handgun rest uh, later in this episode. Moving forward into another thing that I have found key in the field are some sort of optic, you know, binoculars or my buddy uses a monocular. I much prefer binoculars. What do you What do you use on that on that front? Um, uh, I just carry a small set of binoculars. Um, I have been intrigued to uh, try a monocular. I think that would be really cool. But it definitely helps to have something so that you can just improve on your sight. Yeah, what's, and what's not going on and there. this this is one of the things that I learned about binoculars. Uh, squirrel hunting is it's not necessarily about seeing something that's far away. It's bringing the detail closer for you to be able to assess and inspect is like, if you're hunting in the woods, you may be using your binoculars to only look 50 yards away, but those binoculars can enable you to discern the difference between, you know, is that deer hair or is that grass going to seed or whatever, you know, is that, is that a, is that a, bushy tail in the tree or is that just some piece of trash that blew up there you know that that kind of thing i've found binoculars to be hugely helpful for that also range finders are good for you know it's better i try to estimate get good at estimating range is like practice that but i i also usually carry a light pair of or a light range finder in the field i mean i would love to combine the binocular range finder thing but the they're still pretty expensive for for a combination and my budget just hasn't allowed that yet but that would be i would think the the ultimate piece of a piece of equipment that fills that need is to have them in combo because you know range is pretty important to us handgun hunters especially because it's incumbent upon us to set our limit and then not go past it and if you can if you're out there you're without a range finder you're much like more likely to convince yourself that it's within your range you know know, than if you can verify and say (laughs) yeah definitely need to get closer before i take that shot i definitely i can't say enough about how important or how helpful it is to have some kind of way to to verify for sure that that is an animal especially if you're using these amplified hearing protection Mm -hmm. devices yeah, good well, point. Your eyes can play tricks on you. That's that is a really a really good point. And especially if you're like me and you're colorblind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, cuz that, that yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, deer are pretty good at camo for people yeah. who can see color just fine, but when you're like me and you think that brown, every brown and green are pretty much the same, yeah. then binoculars are are definitely a help on that front. Oh, yeah, for sure. Can you think of any other piece of gear that you need that you take into the field with you besides oatmeal cream pies? Well, that was going to be what I was going to mention. I, I did not 
carry any oatmeal cream pies with me this year. And I think it was, it had a direct impact on the amount of animals I actually took back to the house. You're probably right. So, yeah. And I think, I think next year that's definitely going to be part of my kit. Yeah. I don't care if you're allergic to oats or if you're on a diet, oatmeal cream pies are one of the key pieces of kit that you need to be taking into the field with you. It, they, they just make you a better hunter. It's yeah. You're probably not going to need your field rest if you don't carry the oatmeal cream pies. Right. Exactly. Right. And you, you may even be able to run down a deer on your own two feet. If you got a couple of cream pies in your belly. Yep. That's, this is all, I didn't know any of this until I learned it from Roy Yeager. And, uh, I've just, I've just been stunned how it's improved my, my success rate in the field. You're definitely going to be running if you've got a couple in your belly. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. I don't know what you're going to be running after, but mm. you're definitely going to be running. You're, you're not going to be running after. You're going to be running toward something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, man. That, that's great. The uh, Okay, so I think pretty much that covers it as far as the stuff that I bring into the field. You know, I usually, if I'm hunting from a, a stand or a blind, then I'll bring a cup of coffee. Um, I think that's that's pretty much all I bring. You? Oh, yeah. Definitely going to have some snacks in my bag, mm-hmm. even though I'm going to eat them after the first hour of being there. <laughs> first hour, you're doing, you're doing better than most. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, coming up next is my interview with Brian Thurber of Trifecta Handgun. Brian and I are going to talk about kind of the differences between hunting in Indiana and Texas, which was which was a cool conversation to have with him, as well as well as why he came up with this rest and what he's doing with it and where he's going with it and what it's all about. So I hope you guys enjoy that that interview next. Awesome, looking forward to it. Brian Thurber, thank you so much for talking with me today. Hey, uh, no problem. Glad to be here. So going over, uh, as we heard in the introduction from your, um, you are the owner of Trifecta Handgun Rest and and a an HHI member, fellow handgun hunter. Can you start by kind of telling me your hunting background and what was it that got you into hunting with a handgun specifically? Well, that's interesting. Uh, we have to go way back to probably when I was... 12 years old, uh, my brother and I both had to have braces. So uh, we would go to the orthodontist and whoever got done first would go next door to the, the bookstore. And I remember going through the magazines because that's what I uh, always went through. And I came across to Peterson's magazine, a hunting magazine, and there was a picture of a guy holding up a, like a mountain lion and he was holding a uh, a python, a cold python with a scope on it. I thought, man, that's really cool. But I was too young, obviously, back then to uh, handgun hunt. But I really got started uh, archery hunting before that. So, Yeah, interesting. Kind of our similar brothers in arms, I call the bow hunters. <laughs> well, fast forwarding uh, uh, a little bit, my uncle bought a Ruger Super Red Hawk, and he let me shoot it, and he put it on sandbags and... Uh, that was a lot of fun. So that kind of got the juices going just a little bit more. Was that a 44 mag? It was, yeah. Yeah. How old were you when you shot that? I'm going to guess I was around uh, 15 or 16. 
maybe somewhere in high school. Nice. Did he start you out with full power loads? I really don't remember, mm -hmm. but I remember it, you know, just, you can be pretty accurate with it. I'm, I'm sure I was only shooting at like 15 or 20 yards, mm -hmm. but I uh, was accurate with it. I never thought about hunting with it at that point. And uh, I guess fast forward to 2003 or so, I heard about the Encore and Contender. So I uh, kind of caught that bug and uh, started going through the Greybeard forums. I don't know if you guys, mm -hmm. or you remember yeah, that at absolutely. all. But I spent a lot of time on there trying to figure out which caliber and barrel I, I wanted to get. So ended up with a seven millimeter 08 and still have that today. So that was my uh, first handgun. And the first deer I took was in 2006. That's cool. That uh, I have a 708 barrel for my Encore as well. I love it. Absolutely. You came up hunting. Is hunting a tradition in your family? No, it really isn't. My dad was not a hunter. My brother's uh, definitely not a hunter. He's more into the uh, computer thing. So mm -hmm. I really don't have anybody that, that I can point to that really got me started. I just... It was just something I was drawn to, I guess. That's very interesting. I have a similar story. My Nobody else in my family is a, really a hunter, and I just took a shine to it. There was a guy in our church who kind of took me under his wing, and I remember uh, I've told the story in the podcast before, but I, I killed a squirrel in our backyard, and we lived in a ritzy neighborhood in Austin, Texas, and I, I killed a squirrel with my pellet gun, and he came over and taught me how to field dress it and cook it. <laughs> and my mom my mom was thinking okay you know but i you know i i, I ate it because i've always been fascinated by getting my own food you know that's it's always been kind of the draw to me of man i can turn this stuff in nature into food yeah my first big game animal was a rabbit so similar story it was a, a pellet gun rabbit that mm, mm -hmm. my neighbor and i uh stalked and hunted so that's cool that's cool so tell me what the what the handgun hunting scene in indiana is like what's what y'all's hunting out there well it's not super popular uh, i'm gonna say less than one percent of people who firearm hunt probably hunt with a handgun mm -hmm. but our landscape is kind of diverse you know we have uh kentucky uh, Ohio River bottom down there with the Ohio River. And then, uh, you know, Ohio and Indiana and Illinois have similar type terrain, you know, Midwest type terrain. So it's hilly down south and uh, pretty much ag up north. Mm -hmm. So it makes it, you know, like a 10 acre woodlot up north where I live is kind of a normal place to hunt. You know, yeah. there's there's bigger ones, but, and you can hunt deer on as little as three or four acres and, and uh, be pretty successful at it. So, so it sounds like a, a lot different from Texas. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. It sounds like it's pretty wooded. Is that true? Well, where, where we, you, where you we're, are, uh, where I'm at, we have wood lots more than woods. Hmm. So if it doesn't have a house on it, it's probably an agriculture if it's flat. And then there's where it's not flat, you may be a Creek running through, you know, there's going to be some, some woods there. So what's the difference so. between a wood lot and woods? A wood lot's just a small, piece of woods ah, okay i got you i got you that sounds a lot different than where i am <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you guys don't use tree tree stands down there do you we do so we're you know texas is so big that and it's diverse but we do use some tree stands a lot of bow hunters use tree stands it's not nearly as common in my neck of the woods to use a tree stand it is, as it is to use a ground blind or even a, a, a tower blind, but it is done. It is done. It's definitely the minority of people hunt from a tree stand, though. So do you have straight trees like a, a climber tree could go in, or is it all oh, no. a ladder stand? I mean, the <laughs> no, we do not have very many straight trees. A lot yeah. of, it, it depends on, again, the area you're in. You know, out east Texas, they have pretty straight trees, the piney woods area. The uh, Where I live... 
a lot of oaks and the water is inconsistent. So they just grow, you know, however they're going to grow. So you just have to kind of, you know, sometimes it makes it easier for them to climb. And, you know, I've, I've done it and I've known a couple of people that done it that sometimes just, there's a good tree that you don't even have to put a stand in. You can just kind of sit in it. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Lots of, lots of really pretty oak trees, uh, where, where I live and that's, you know, but I would say, so 99% of the hunting that's done where I live is a feeder and a ground blind. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because we are. Yeah, we're not allowed to uh, bait in Indiana. So. Right, right. A lot of, I don't know what the, what your deer population is like in Indiana, but we are so overrun with white-tailed deer and now Axis that uh, if we didn't do that, we just, you know, we have enough deer to do that is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the uh, stigma of Texas is, you know, you get a, a sack full of corn and put it out and make a bait pile and then go hide somewhere and, and wait for something <laughs> to show up. Yeah, that there is kind of a, it, that does sound, when you talk about it that way, it definitely does sound easy. And uh, when I first started handgun hunting, my buddy and I decided that we were not going to do it that way and we were going to stalk through the woods, which I love doing. I love stalking. However, having had more experience and moving through my hunting career, it is not a gimme. You know, there are game, I mean, there are places obviously where it is a gimme, but there are game patterns that need to be observed. And also the whole, you know, sitting in a blind deal is being still for that long is not, is, 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 is a skill in itself. And I mean, I know same thing with the tree stand, but. but yeah, we use a lot of blinds in Indiana too. So, mm-hmm. but it's. Like I said, we're not allowed to bait, so you kind of have to find uh, some natural food, or you know, you can put a food plot out, which you know grows pretty good around here. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, not not super common, I don't think, because uh, we have so much agriculture that deer don't hit the food plots uh, like you might get in some other states. But. Interesting. Well, I can tell you. So one of the one of the reasons that I love having a blind and a feeder is the opportunity to introduce somebody to the sport. If you have a more, if you have a higher success rate, you take a lot of the pressure off of a, of a first time hunter because they don't have to think about finding it as much as they do have to think about being ethical and humane in the, the way that they kill it. And that is kind of like a, ste- a stepping stone. And also I'll say, you know, I, I've obviously lived in this area my whole life and deer will, deer will, freak you out as far as you know you'll be i know guys who just especially south texas those guys that are get a little too crazy about it sometimes you will find a deer that's you, you see the early before the season you're like oh man that guy keeps coming to the feeder and then he will disappear and he will not come to the feeder all season or you'll sit huh. there you'll sit there one morning and you'll see five deer and then you'll sit there in the afternoon and you'll see seven totally different deer is that right yeah so it's an interesting it's not like shaking the, the feed bucket for cattle <laughs> yeah i hear you well I, I love that you know somebody that hasn't been out before you know you can give them some high success so i will that's al- really cool yeah yeah i will also echo though it is much more rewarding when you are on your own two feet stalking through the woods and you come out successful yeah well i've been through texas a few times and, mm-hmm. and it seems like there's a lot of open water down there would be there's a lot of cover, but I don't know how you would ever pattern a, an animal if you did not use some sort of bait. It is very difficult. And, you know, the the terrain down here is so rocky. I'm talking about the hill country where I am. So rocky, so many seasons of dry versus wet. So there's always dead stuff on the ground. It's very difficult to be quiet. And, yeah, they never they never seem to do the same thing twice. And I think that's because there is no consistency in their food and water sources because, you know, something that was wet 
yesterday, maybe dry tomorrow. And this, like for instance, this season was very heavy on the acorns. I've never seen so many acorns in my life, which is ironic because we were just coming out of a, we're still in the middle of a big drought. So I think that plays into the fact that it's kind of hard to pattern deer. Although that's part of the fun of it is, is trying to be the wily hunter though. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think of Texas and acorns going together, but I guess, uh, Depends yeah, on where you're at. That's true. That's true. We are, our acorns are the only thing that isn't bigger in Texas. We have really small, small acorns that are, I'm trying to think of something to compare them to. I mean, not even a smaller than grapes, tons and tons of them this year. And that actually kept deer away from the feeders. So there's, yeah, a, they love acorns. Yeah. So there was a, eat acorns pretty much before anything. So that was one of the, this, this season I had a lot of friends who were saying, man, that deer aren't coming because i mean even even people who feed at their house just to have scenery uh, the deer just weren't coming because of the acorns but yeah no matter what i've found with hunting no matter how you do it unless it's just something that is totally canned it's not ever a gimme oh yeah absolutely for sure so moving on to you said you killed your first deer with that 708 encore in 2006 yeah what what was kind of your journey to discover that you wanted to create a rest for people to use in the field while handgun hunting? Well, there's that saying, uh, necessity is the mother of uh, invention. Mm-hmm. That was definitely true for for me. If we fast forward to 2008, I was hunting in southern Indiana, and there's a, a Texas gas line that goes through, uh, be my uncle's property. So I had a blind sitting on one side, and it's maybe 70 or 80 yards across this thing. And a big buck shows up and he stood right in front of two cedar trees. And I had uh, some, I guess you'd call them tent pole stakes, you know, like three feet long and uh, a little piece of rubber band in the middle. And I was using that as a rest. Mm-hmm. So I put the, uh, you know, I was nervous because he was a big buck, probably the biggest one, you know, in two or three miles every direction. And I put the crosshairs on him and I'm, you know, on his back, on his belly, on his back, and I couldn't hold still enough. So uh, I eventually shot and I saw him bound off. And the way he bounded off, I was like, eh, I don't know if I even hit him or not. But unfortunately, that day it was raining really hard. So I had to take up the trail right away. I did find a blood trail after about 150 yards it petered out and he would have had to go across this big open field. So to keep the story short, about two hours later, I saw him coming back through and he looked completely healthy. So, but, uh, I knew I had to do something different, but cause I could use that, those, uh, tent stakes when I wasn't nervous and I was okay with them, but it wasn't supporting the back of the the gun just the the forend so i had to do something different i bought a bog pod tripod and it had the little u-shaped top on it and i tried that that still wasn't effective enough for you know what i thought i could do with that gun you know it's an accurate gun but i couldn't hold still well enough to kind of match up to it so uh fast forward to 2010 and i was filming a kid's a football game with a camera that was roughly the size of uh, the Encore pistol, probably uh, 12 to 15 inches long and about the same weight. And it was on a tripod on a fluid head. And I was just messing with it. I'm like, man, I can hold really still with this camera. 
maybe I'm on to something here. So I would go to work and I, you know, I used all the post-it notes just drawing things up. And I was trying to figure out a way I can hold the gun perfectly still by putting several points of contact on it and then be able to use this fluid head at the same time. So I knew several people that I could talk to as far as getting a, a prototype. I was been involved in machining and manufacturing paint coatings and things for quite a few years. So I got a prototype together and uh, that was really the start of it. And I just made it for myself back in 2010. Let me ask you, I, uh, I, I hunted for a long time. I still do sometimes with my red-legged devil bipod. Bogpod made the PSR for a while. Are you familiar with that one? Yes, absolutely. Was yeah. that, was that around when you were starting or did you start after they had already discontinued that? I started before that and then I saw that one come out. And then, uh, but by then you discontinued it. But by then, yeah, I had my first one. I got you. So, what was your first rest? How was your first rest different from the rests you make today? (laughs) Well, gosh, uh, that's the first one, um, was very, very expensive to make. I think I probably had about $300 into it. Mm -hmm. And instead of the uh, cushioned spool that I call the trigger guard guide wheel Mm -hmm. that sits on top of it today, it was just a roller bearing called a cam follower. It's just a bearing with a uh, like a bolt sticking out of it or some threads that you can attach to something. Sure. And my idea is kind of like uh, make it something similar to an arrow rest on a bow where it wasn't uh, cushioning or anything. It was just kind of, you know, for the arrow to sit there, it'd be the same thing with the frame of the gun. So that was the idea for the first one. From 2011, I really started the business and incorporated it. So from 2011 to 2000. 15 or 16, those were the real struggle years because nobody bought it. You know, <laughs> it was expensive to make, and and, uh, and I don't think people really understood it. And uh, it worked fairly well for what it was, but the, the bad part about it or the negative is you couldn't really put it on unlevel uh, terrain at all. You would have to adjust your tripod perfectly ah. to make it level. So the one we have today, you get a little bit more wiggle room. So... so- you start. You started your business in 2011. Is that correct? January 1st. Oh, yes. Awesome. So been at it 11 years now. Good. Good on you for that perseverance. As a small business entrepreneurial mindset guy myself, it's I look up to that. That's because that's what it takes, right? It just takes believing in what you're making and keeping chipping away at it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew it worked. It was just one of those things where how do I get it out there and and uh, really the. Uh, signature camo rest that we put out in 2016 mm-hmm. was really when things took off because I changed the manufacturing techniques completely for that one. So the rest itself, it was very accurate, but was also very versatile and lightweight. You can fit it into a variety of situations. And you've upgraded the signature camo rest to the ambush rest, correct? Yeah, and that was partly intentional and, and partly necessity. The uh, fluid head for the signature camo they quit making so i had a harder and harder time getting a hold of them and then so i was like well maybe i ought to look for something different and that was about when i started talking to you maybe september october last year Mm -hmm. and uh, i found a new fluid head that got really good reviews on amazon and bnh photo and there was quite a few uh youtube videos that really reviewed it well so i bought one long story short i really liked it it's you know it it looks nice, much better machining. The knobs on it, the knurling on them are 
real easy to use and to make adjustments with. So it was a, a blessing in disguise, I guess, to move over to the ambush handgun rest. And I think my favorite part of it is the handle. I can, it's a bent handle and you can manipulate it and move it around any way you want. And you can take it off. The signature camo, you had to have the ham, handle on there to use it. But this one, you could completely take it off if you really want to strip down and go lightweight. That new ambush rest is also ambidextrous, correct? It is. So you can uh, order it in either uh, left or right. You do have to order it that way because Mm -hmm. there's some things I have to do uh, before I send it out. But it can be ordered either way where the signature camo is just a right-handed rest. Tell me a little bit about the hybrid hunter rest because I have only had... I had experience with the signature camo rest that you graciously donated to be a Handgun Hunters International giveaway. And uh, so I haven't, I've only seen pictures of the hybrid hunter. What was the idea and the purpose behind that one? Sure. Well, the hybrid hunter I brought out just as kind of an experiment after the signature camo. And I I wanted something that was going to be a little bit heavier. It's going to be something that you're not going to be running up and down the Rocky Mountains with, but maybe if you have a ground blind or a box blind or just have a short trek to your stand, but maybe you want to hunt with a a long range firearm and just want something a little bit heavier and more stable. That's really where the hybrid hunter comes into play. I really love it. The ergonomics of it are, are really good, but I would not do it. I would not use that if I was going to use a monopod and, and get up in a tree stand or, or run up and down the hills. But, you know, for like the Encore uh, with a bottleneck cartridge mm-hmm. or a uh, bolt action type gun, it works really well. How much does, uh, how much do your rests weigh? I don't have that on me at the moment. I'm just going to take a, a guess and mm-hmm. say the ambush is probably about 3.2 pounds mm-hmm. and the hybrid hunter is going to be just a little over five pounds. Mm, okay. And so, another nice thing about the hybrid hunter is you can take the handle off of that. There's actually two handles if you look at the picture. Yeah, one for your You can take both hand. of those off. Yeah. Oh, okay. So if you want to make it smaller and lighter, you can definitely do that. So the hybrid hunter too, you'd say, is more for a set-up position for longer-range guns, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I would probably use it on a, a tripod more than anything. Understood. Let me ask you this. I, I, you talking kind of tickled this question in my head. What? How did you reach handgun hunters? You know, in that time that you said you were struggling and then finally things started going well and taking off, What? how did you reach handgun hunters? What do you think? Was there just people started doing it more often? And once you did start reaching handgun hunters, does that give you evidence to say how popular handgun hunting is kind of nationwide or, you know, in your circle? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. Um, a lot of my customers are really new to it, which I think is really cool. I just sold one today to somebody in California of all places. And then uh, about a week and a half ago, somebody in New York bought one. It's like two places you don't really think about Mm -hmm. handgun hunting so much, but there they go. So, so does that kind of answer your question? Yeah. The only other thing I was curious about is what methods were you using to reach people that might be interested in your rest. Oh, okay. Yeah. So social media is kind of a big one, but I think just, uh, optimizing my, uh, website, Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to go too techie on anybody, but like search engine optimization is 
mm-hmm. a thing. So people will see keywords and come to your website. So that's really been a big one. So just, uh, I guess uh, I'm out there on Instagram and Facebook and, and uh, have a YouTube channel also. So That's good because it says that people are Googling something like, you know, hunting rests, handgun hunting rests or something like that, right? That there is an interest that is not something that you create by saying, hey, et cetera, et cetera, you know, come check this out. It is somebody's thinking, oh, wow, let me Google or search, put in my search engine uh, handgun rests. Yeah. And that's, it's actually pretty hard to advertise something like this because it's such a, uh, a niche or niche product, mm-hmm. however you say that word. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we both know that you can't really advertise on, on uh, social media platforms. Mm-hmm. They just, Mm-hmm. They don't like it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually one of the. So reasons. it's hard to find a place to to uh, advertise. So I'm I'm glad that uh, that uh, you and I have, have struck something up uh, with Handgun Hunters International. I just want to take a second to say, hey, th- thank you for doing that. By the way, you know it's. Oh, I appreciate. I saw it. you were bringing that back up, and I was like, man, I don't know if that's going to work. You know, obviously it, it died for the first the first time for some reason, but. You know, you're doing so much and, and uh, trying different things and things that probably weren't done before. And I, I wasn't around for the first time. I read some six gunner articles and things, but I wasn't a, a member the first time around. So I'm, I'm super stoked that uh, you started it back up and, and you're uh, expanding that. Um, I appreciate you saying that, Brian. I really do. It's it, again, it, like your business, it's a journey and there, there are some unique aspects to running this organization now that weren't true when it was first started in the seventies, you know, specifically social media. But that's, I guess that's what I do is I just keep trying new things and keep trying new things. And because I know, I know handgun hunters are out there and I keep, they keep coming out of the woodwork, which is good. And I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that because this is definitely a passion project for me. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I do have one bone to pick with you though. Hit it. (laughs) So I was on your social media page and and I saw that you released five of these podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I was I was curious. So I went over to Handgun Hunters International, clicked on the podcast button, and the two guys before me are uh, Mark Hampton and Ernie Bishop. Mm-hmm. You, you and then should, you, you and then you first. interview me. You know, no, no, no. Oh, <laughs> oh I, see I probably should have been first. <laughs> but this is like uh, you know. Uh, ACDC and the Rolling Stones, and then I come in as the garage band, you know, to close the show. No, no, not at all. You know, <laughs> you're, you're doing great work for our sport, and those guys know yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, those guys are legends, though, man. They've done it all, so. They are, and I'm grateful that they would, would talk to me. But, uh, no, getting getting the word out about anybody who's contributing, anybody in the industry, which you are, contributing to handgun hunting, no, I am dedicated to giving them a platform because I want one of the things that we suffer from in the handgun hunting community is the fact that the industry is kind of, you know, we become just kind of not, you know, swept under the rug. They're not as concerned, which I get from a business point. You know, you sell way more self-defense guns these days than hunting handguns. But if we can let them know with our one voice as handgun handgun hunters international, that we want them to bring back things and we want people to start businesses making things for handgun hunters. That's, yeah. that's where I'm passionate. Right. Yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you something. I'm uh, pretty stoked the pl- past few years, you know, with the handgun hunter competition and then uh, mm-hmm. out 
west and then uh in ohio uh is the uh, adam bender memorial shoot so yeah there's some things happening and i'm really uh glad that i'm going to be sponsoring both of those events oh, and obviously good. Uh, got a little bit more involved with handgun hunters international in the past six months yeah so yeah, i i can't tell you how much i appreciate your support and those two competitions are fantastic as well handgun hunters competition fantastic nonprofit organization and adam was a member before he passed away and i'm really glad that they're keeping that memorial shoot going so before we before we wrap this up i want you to tell me where the future of trifecta handgun is where are you seeing this thing going and if you can any other ideas you have coming down the pike well i would like to just keep participating in in these uh shoots and and sponsor more things and and just personally get out there as much as i can i'm pretty busy with everything that i do but i love teaching handgun hunting or shooting as as much as you know people will listen to me mm-hmm. i'm definitely not an expert uh nobody's ever came up to me with a piece of paper or certificate or anything i said you know you're an expert <laughs> now so <laughs> but i just love tinkering and i love learning from everybody so that's where I see myself going as far as products go. A lot of times they just come to me when I I see something that needs changed with what we do now or something new. So I don't really have anything to offer to you on that front. But well, I know we're you know. we're on the heels of a, a really fresh offering, but keep keep that brain working, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, before we close out, can you tell people where they can find you and follow you? Absolutely. Uh, TrifectaHandgun.com is the website if you want to learn more about our handgun rest. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Just do a search for Trifecta Handgun and you will find it. That's great. I recommend everybody follow Brian Thurber, Trifecta Handgun. He is doing the Lord's work in bringing field rests for handgun hunters back to being a real thing. Brian, thank you so much for visiting with me today, and I wish you all the best. Yeah, I appreciate it, Ryan. And uh, also YouTube is another one. Yes. But thanks you so much for having me on today. I I certainly appreciate that. And I was not expecting this. So uh, really cool and really fun. This podcast is produced by Handgun Hunters International. HHI is the only organization dedicated solely to supporting and growing the sport of handgun hunting. Membership gets you access to our great, well-moderated forum where friendly handgun hunters of all experience levels share stories and information from folks that have actual experience in our sport. We also host giveaways to our members of guns, gear, and ammo every month, and each prize is worth several times what membership costs. In addition to this podcast, we publish a free digital magazine, The Six Gunner, which is written exclusively by HHI members. If you are a handgun hunter or support handgun hunting in any way, you need to be a member of HHI. Join today at handgunhuntersinternational.com. Again, if you have any questions on how to get started in handgun hunting, please reach out to me at ryan at handgunhuntersinternational.com. If you think we deserve it, please leave us a five-star review and don't forget to follow Handgun Hunters International on social media at handgunhuntersint. God bless and good hunting. Good hunting.